0: Chapter 10 of Judge Burnham's Daughters. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Judge Burnham's Daughters by Pansy. Chapter 10 Coming to an Understanding. Of course, the question was not settled. Mrs. Burnham knew this, and was anxious to bring it up again, that there might at least be a full understanding with regard to erskine. She began it unwisely as soon as they were alone, before her excitement had had time to cool however she was quiet enough at first repeating with a little more care and courtesy the statement that she had been sorry for the public discussion and had not thought to tell him that she and erskine had been talking of these things but a few days before and that they had together taken a pledge never to touch anything that would intoxicate a pledge which her husband interrupted her to say he thought was an exceedingly foolish and mischievous one pledges were serious things and should not be mouthed over by a child ignorant of what he was about, and then, with delicious disregard of logic, added that he should have supposed she would have had more wisdom than to have herself set up a barrier in the child's conscience in regard to the medicine which the family physician had prescribed. Ruth ignored the logic and the implied compliment to herself, and held to her point. I do not mean to pledge him against the use of alcohol for extreme illness. Personally, I believe that medical skill can, if it chose, supply a substitute for alcoholic poison even in cases where it used to be considered a necessity. That was what Papa thought you remember, and I know that we have very high medical authority to sustain the belief, but I am not prepared to set up my judgment against that of an attending physician where I know there is extreme danger. I do not know yet what I should do under such circumstances. I am afraid I should obey the doctor, but in little every day aches and pains and the weaknesses common to childhood, I am sure there is no necessity whatever of resorting to alcohol, and that feature of the subject was decidedly included in our pledge. And I repeat that I think you have been very foolish in playing with pledges and all that sort of nonsense. The word of parents should be the highest law a child touches. However, you made a most unnecessary scene in this case, for orange wine is free from the ingredient which has come under the ban of your displeasure. His wife turned fully toward him then, and regarded him searchingly. Was this man ignorant, really, or did he suppose that she was? Do I understand you that there was no alcohol in the preparation of the orange wine which was on the table today? Well, of course it was fermented, else it would not be fit to drink. But the proportion of alcohol was so slight that a baby might have indulged in it without harm. It seemed unnecessary to make any reply to this, so none was offered. The significant silence seemed to vex Judge Burnham. Suppose we try to understand each other, he said, speaking more haughtily than before. Am I to conclude, from the exhibition we have had to-day, "'that whenever you choose to countermand my orders to the child, "'you consider yourself quite at liberty to do so in his presence, "'to say nothing of the presence of others? "'If you have any such impression as this,' he added, "'growing more angry as he proceeded, "'it is quite time we came to an understanding. "'I am not a household tyrant, "'and I have never obtruded my views in regard to the child. "'Indeed, while he was a baby,' it was my policy and my practice to leave him almost entirely in your hands. Perhaps I have carried this policy too far, and led you to misunderstand me. But once for all, let me say that I expect full and implicit and prompt obedience from him, and failing to receive it, shall certainly require it. I excused him to-day because the nature of your interference was such that no gentleman could do otherwise, BUT FOR THE FUTURE, YOU, BEING FAIRLY WARNED, WILL NOT, I HOPE, FORCE ME, AT LEAST IN PUBLIC, TO THE PAINFUL NECESSITY OF PRESSING MY COMMANDS CONTRARY TO YOUR EXPRESSED WILL. IF HE WAS ANGRY NOW, AND HE HAD GROWN MORE SO WITH EACH SPOKEN WORD, HOW SHALL HIS WIFE'S STATE OF MIND BE DESCRIBED? HER BLOOD SEEMED FAIRLY TO BOIL IN HER VEINS. THIS ENTIRE HARANGUE WAS SO UNLIKE HER HUSBAND, WAS SO UNCALLED FOR. Had she not striven earnestly and successfully to instill into Erskine's mind the importance of unquestioning obedience to his father? Had she not put away her fears and anxieties many a time, with stern hand, in order to carry out some scheme of the father's, over which the mother's heart trembled? How utterly unfair and unkind was all this! Why should she be spoken to, as though she were at best but a faithful nursemaid, who could be trusted with the care of the child while he was a baby, but who must resign her control as he grew older. There was no time for careful thought, for schooling herself to the use of the right words. She spoke hastily, almost fiercely. "'Judge Burnham, I have done nothing to merit such language as that. I have always taught Erskine to obey you quite as unquestioningly as he did me. You know this to be the case.' and also that I appealed to you to-day to excuse him from the command, giving you what I thought was a sufficient reason. Since you are so anxious that there should be an understanding between us, I will try to speak as plainly as you have. I do mean that my boy shall be kept from the taint or the touch, or even the smell of alcohol, if determination and vigilance on my part can accomplish it. I tell you solemnly that, much as my life is bound up in his, entirely as I seem to be dependent on him for what happiness I have, I would rather stand beside his open grave and see him buried in his childish innocence than that he should live to be even a fashionable drunkard. And I warn you that I will not tamely submit to any tampering with him in this direction, to any scheme under pretext of medicine or tonic or whatever name Satan has planned to have the mixture called. I will take my boy and run away before I will endure anything of the kind. She turned from him the moment the last word was spoken and left the room, but not quickly enough to escape his reply. Well, upon my word, this is the most astounding exhibition of Christian fanaticism that I have seen yet. The words pierced her, not because of their intense sarcasm, nor because of the emphasis on the last word, which was equal to saying that he was now prepared, however, for anything in that direction which could be imagined, but because of that one word, Christian. It brought her suddenly back to the recollection that as she lived religion before her husband, so he would judge of its power in her heart. Oh, miserable life that goaded her by the very force of her conscience into daily exhibitions that were a disgrace to the name she wore! moreover when she was quiet enough to think about it she began to realize how very difficult she had made the way for her projected entertainment which was to supersede and outshine the fashionable world had she not made the attempt well-nigh impossible yet what could she have done she tried to assure her conscience that she had no business with results that she had but stood squarely up for her principles as she was in honor bound to do but her conscience was altogether too well-educated to be lulled in this manner. It insisted on assuring her that it was not the standing up for principle which could be criticized, but the manner of doing it. The next complication came the next morning. Mrs. Stuart Bacon sent up her card, and would be glad to see Mrs. Burnham for a few minutes on important business. Ruth knew her but slightly, and being in no mood for strangers, was tempted to declare herself engaged. But that phrase, important business, conquered, and she went reluctantly to the parlor. Mrs. Bacon was a middle-aged lady with an earnest face and pleasant voice. Looking at her from across the aisle of the church, Ruth remembered that she had dreamily told herself that sometime she would like to become better acquainted with that face. Perhaps this was her opportunity." Yet this morning she did not think she wanted to become acquainted with anybody. It almost seemed to her that if she could go quite away from everybody she had ever seen before, and stay a long time, she would be glad. Mrs. Bacon expressed her thanks at being received, though the hour was early for calls, and said she would not abuse the kindness by unnecessary detention, but would proceed at once to business. In the first place, would not dear Mrs. Burnham join their organization? Her name had been on their list for several weeks, as one whom they meant to petition, but she believed the opportunity had not heretofore occurred. Still they confidently looked for her name and support. "'What was the organization?' Ruth questioned, struggling with the apathy she felt, and trying hard to bring herself into line with women who were at work in the world." Why, the W.C.T.U., you know, spoken confidently, as though she would know the meaning of the magic letters in an instant. Your old pastor, Dr. Dennis, assured us that he believed we should find in you a most efficient helper. But Ruth had been living out of the world. She could not remember what the letters meant. Dreamily, she recalled her Chautauqua experiences, where the air was full of initials, and tried to fit some of their meanings to the letters that flowed so glibly from Mrs. Bacon's tongue, but they would not fit. The caller must have observed her blank look, for she hastened to the rescue. The woman's Christian temperance union, you know. I beg your pardon for speaking in abbreviations. We women do it so much in our work that we forget it is not quite the way to speak to outsiders. Still, I don't regard you as an outsider. I know you are one of us, "'an intelligent Christian mother in these days "'is to be claimed as a matter of course.' "'The woman's Christian temperance union.' "'Ruth repeated the words aloud, slowly, as if fascinated by them, "'her face aglow with interest. "'It sounded like fellowship and oneness of thought and feeling. "'Yes,' Mrs. Bacon said heartily, "'feeling the sympathy in her hostess's voice. "'I knew you would be interested.' We have quite a flourishing branch here, and have accomplished some very desirable results. And she launched forth into an eager account of their late experiences. Ruth, listening, felt her enthusiasm die slowly, and her heart grow cold. It was of no use to think of joining these women in their work. She had never heard Judge Burnham mention the name of the organization, yet she was as sure as though he had talked for hours about it, that he would regard their methods of work and even their work itself in some of its branches as unladylike and uncalled for he had a very pronounced horror of women whom he regarded as having stepped out of their sphere it would be foolish to widen the breach which was already between them by identifying herself with anything of this sort but she would like to do it she knew of course a great deal about the workings of the organization and had been more or less interested in its movements in the years gone by. As soon as she had roused from her dazed condition, she knew what the initials meant very well. Some of the doings of the society she had regarded with disapproval she remembered, but as she swiftly looked back on them now, she said perhaps the women were justified in all that they did. No doubt many of them were mothers. None of this, however, appeared in her words, when mrs bacon reached a period having closed with a renewal of her invitation ruth's reply was a brief almost cold negative she could not join the organization she was in sympathy with them of course and respected their work every christian woman must do that but there were excellent reasons why she could not enroll herself as one of them mrs bacon was disappointed She had evidently heard, either through Dr. Dennis or from some other source, that about Ruth which had made her confident of success. However, the refusal had been given in such a way as made it almost impossible for a lady to urge further. "'Well,' she said, after a moment's dismayed silence, "'I am sorry. Perhaps you will see it in a different light at some other time.' now let me come at once to the special business whose need for haste precipitated perhaps unwisely the invitation i have just given you i feel very sure my dear mrs burnham that you will not put me off with a negative here you know of course how earnestly we have struggled to keep the sale of liquor out of this corner of the world and because we do not as yet belong to the city and because it is a factory region we have succeeded Even the enemies of total abstinence do not think it wise to have liquor freely sold where their workmen can get it, you know, for their sons, strange to say, they have not so much regard. Well, up to this time our young men, if they use the stuff, must go to the city for it. It is true enough that with our constant trains back and forth, this can be very easily accomplished. Still, it is a sort of safeguard to those who have not yet been caught in the enemy's toils. But now a new danger menaces us. It is said that our largest hotel, the Shenandoah, has discovered that the law can be interpreted in such a manner that it will have a right to offer liquor to its guests, even though none can be sold elsewhere within our limits. What do you suppose we mothers think of that? We have sons, you know, who mingle freely with the guests at the Shenandoah, and are frequently entertained by them. "'Are we to sit quietly by and see that poured before their eyes daily, "'which we have pledged our lives to keep from them, if possible? "'Do you believe we ought to do it, Mrs. Burnham?' "'She was strongly excited. "'Her eyes fairly blazed with the intensity of her feelings, "'and every muscle of her face spoke for her. "'Ruth remembered that she had heard this woman's son mentioned "'as a young man who was unusually gifted. "'Was he also unusually tempted?' She made haste to answer, her heart throbbing with sympathy. Suppose Erskine were nineteen. Assuredly I do think so, my dear madame, and if there is anything which you can do, I should think you would allow no obstacle to prevent your doing to the utmost. Thank you, I knew you were true at heart. Mrs. Burnham, if there is anything which you can do for us, will you do it?' After what I have said, you can hardly doubt the heartiness of my reply to that question. The only trouble is, I realize only too well my own impotence. I have no influence whatever with the managers of the hotel. I have not even a speaking acquaintance with them, and, if I had, it would not give me influence. How is it possible that I could accomplish anything which you, who have worked in these lines and understood the methods so well, could not do much better? Oh, my dear, we are far too well trained in our work to hope anything from hotel managers as a rule. The men who can consider such a proposition at all are not of the class that can be urged through their moral natures. Liquor-dealing hotel proprietors have no consciences, I verily believe. Nothing less impossible than a thou shalt not is going to affect anything in that direction why one of these very gentlemen has a son who drinks to excess every time he goes to the city and his father wants to make it more convenient to him it seems then what can you think it possible for me to do under such circumstances if they have the law on their side or if it has been twisted so that it can appear to be on their side and i have no doubt of that last "'for nothing seems to be easier than to secure a lawyer "'who is skillful in misinterpreting the law to suit his client. "'What is there left to do?' "'Everything, dear Mrs. Burnham. "'I am so glad to hear you speak in that eager way. "'Don't you suppose we recognize you as the power behind the throne? "'I told the ladies I felt sure you would be on our side, "'for though your boy is only five, the years go fast.' and they make drunkards of them now at fifteen. This is a hurrying age, you know. I feel sure you will save us from the curse in our midst, dear madame, for the sake of your boy and mine. Ruth looked utterly puzzled, and also pained. What wild scheme had this excited woman in mind, which she fondly imagined would tie them over this present danger? She spoke low and gently, in the hope of calming the evident excitement of her guest. I have not the remotest idea what you mean. Believe me, there is nothing that I would not do to help, were it in my power. But how I can do anything, I cannot imagine. Mrs. Bacon regarded her curiously, evidently puzzled in turn. Why, my dear Mrs. Burnham, she said at last, is it possible that you do not know that your husband is the owner of the Shenandoah? And that by the terms of the lease his consent must be obtained before any liquors can be brought into the house? End of chapter ten Recording by Tricia G.